So first and foremost. I think the the addition of pant leggings is really when you start to see your heroes get watered down. Can't even muster the ability to play straight pants that one. Uh, which is a good argument for absolute rulers. Everybody is going to get behind me. They're going to love me. And my support numbers will go through. When you hang out with the hero, it doesn't go well for you. My grandfather yeah. took the cop and just slid it right through the bar. Okay. And that became the dominant way our family did it. Okay. And so, <laughs> in both of my marriages, they were treated to that. Okay, wait, hold on. Yeah, rage haiku. How do you imagine the rubber chicken My grandmother actually vacuumed in her pearls. Oh my god, it all makes sense. We've had the sexual revolution. It yeah. might have just been a Canadian standoff. We're gonna go back to 9 11. Dude, get over it. Mm-hmm. Nobody understands what the building is supposed to be. Agra has no <laughs> business being that thick. <laughs> With the cultists win, we all win. from going on my first interstate trip in well cross-country trip in quite some time um we're going to be visiting with extended family um everybody we're going to be seeing is vaccinated which is good uh and yeah i'm looking forward to it uh it is going to be in florida in june central florida in june um so you know um that's gonna suck but uh you know the trip the trip itself i'm very much excited about looking forward to it uh there's gonna be members of the extended family our little boy is gonna be meeting for the first time Ooh, always excited so that's gonna be that's gonna be cool and disney world ah we're we're doing dumbo or die in a day Mm -hmm. um and i get to take him on the teacups nice which uh as a little kid that was my favorite thing in disneyland well that and the dumbo ride the big flying Dumbo, yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, both of which my wife has said no okay just no like you don't get to or she's not going to she's she's hard pass gotcha um because because she she doesn't want to wind up vomiting in front of our son oh okay does Um, she understand that things will be spinning so even if she vomits in front of him it'll actually hit to her right yeah, you can let yeah, her know. yeah, I yeah, I don't think that'd be a selling okay. point. But right. yeah, so yeah, no, I'm very excited about all of that. That's what I've got going on. Nice. Who are you? What's happening in your world? I'm Damien Harmony. I'm a, a local uh, Latin teacher uh, at the high school level here in Northern California. I am not going anywhere or doing anything exciting. <laughs> uh, I'm hoping to just kind of uh, just gonna focus on me. And, no, okay. I, I'm, and, I'm and actually... Just, and just yeah. get in touch with, like, you know, what you need right now. Yeah. No, actually, what I'll probably end up doing is uh, some deep cleaning of this house. and. Uh, well, there you go. Yeah. I mean, you know, it genuinely focus on the living space um, okay. and continue teaching my kids Latin there you uh, go. through the summer. So yeah. that's the... That's yeah. The today thing. today was our little boy's last day in daycare Ooh. until August because nice. I am contractually unemployed for okay. the next two months. And... Um, yeah, there's. I'm both very excited about the adventure that's going to be involved, and mm-hmm. 
I'm I'm looking on. Oh, I get to be a full time parent, and there's kind of that. What am I going to do with him for all those hours of the day? <laughs> kind of thing going on. I, I mean, I I've done it before. I'm sure he's older know, and great. more capable of things. You will find that it's actually easier this year than it was last year. Yeah, no, so. I have I have no doubt. Yeah. So, um, all right. In our last episode, yes. um, we really didn't cover wrestling from 2001 to 2002, and I want. I can hear the collective screaming through time. Yes. Through time. Yes. I have not even taken any spice and I can hear the future right now. Okay, but because the... because even without Mentat powers, I can calculate that that's going to fucking happen. <laughs> Someday we do need to have a talk about Muhammad Hassan as as played by Mark Cabodi. <laughs> Oh God! They could have done something cool. They did something worse, and then they made sure it was an Italian guy playing somebody swarthy yet again. It used to be that pro wrestler uh, Indians were always played by Italians, as well. It's just a thing that happened. And Russians, and Russians, oddly enough, like always. Okay, wait, hold on. Russians as swarthy? Yeah. Like florid? Okay, I can see. Like like flush faced. No, no. But... You you would play. You would have Italians pretending to be Soviets. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Okay. Yes. But yeah. Like like I have I have neighbors and, mm-hmm. and like folks working in my apartment complex who yep. are first generation. That's not what they look like. Nope. They're not. But if you're in Tennessee, it totally is. <laughs> if they're wearing a, a red singlet with a hammer and sickle on it. Yeah. Okay. But that's going to be part right. of my Memphis wrestling uh, okay. as you know, Oeuvre. yeah, as yeah. as mirrors Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis's career um, as a professional debutante. You so. know, the, the funny thing about that is you're saying that as a joke, but I can totally see you do that <laughs> yeah. and make it. I can and, draw that line and make it, <laughs> if not make sense, yeah. then at least have a through line that could be followed. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, last in our last episode, we we got apparently almost all of that out of our system. <laughs> uh, and then we got started talking about Dune. Oh yeah. And we ended our last episode with you predicting. Yes. What was going to happen in the book, what the book was going to be about. Yes. Um, and if I remember correctly, let's see, it was empire in decline. Yep. It was uh, clearly bad people are in charge, but the mm-hmm. people who were overthrowing them are going to make you uncomfortable. Yes. Okay. Their their cause is righteous. Their methods their might methods not be. Might not be. Okay. Yeah. All right. And oil. Oil. Yeah. Okay. You're close everywhere. Neat. You're on the nose once. Ah. So we'll we'll get into it. Yeah. 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 All right. So, but I was we we left off. Uh, I was talking about the state of the world mm-hmm. in 1965. The, the historical context in which in which the book was re- published. Yeah. And we had finished talking about Disintegration of Empires, uh, which is why it was front of your mind Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the state of the Cold War, um, Mm -hmm. Eisenhower Doctrine in 57 being being a thing that would put the Middle East on American kind of radar. All right. So now I want to talk about the state of science fiction as a genre. Okay. In the time period. Okay. So, So we have a context because part of what we're going to get into right is how dune affected the genre and so we need to know kind of where the genre was right so in the early 60s um as i i briefly mentioned last time the pulps had died out mm-hmm. 
the adventure story pulps, uh, the ones with, you know, uh, Robert E. Howard's boxer character and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the gunslingers and the private detectives and all of those things, mm-hmm. those had either shifted into being like novels in the case right. of, you know, Dashiell Hammett and, and, you know, noir detective stories and that stuff. Or they'd just gone into comics. They'd become right, Western right. comics. They'd become adventure comics. But science fiction, as a genre, had had kind of split off, and and the, pul- the science fiction pulps had turned into kind of smaller format digest digest right, magazines. Right. And by the '60s, the market was beginning to shrink because there had been this huge volume of stuff being put out in the in the '30s and '40s. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like the, the appetite for this stuff had been voracious and, and, you know, it had been read kind of everywhere and the audience was shrinking because Mm -hmm. media was now starting to compete. We see television showing up in the, in the, in the Mm fifties beginning to to become widespread. Yes. And so, you know, there was already some competition from radio, but TV, created this new avenue of competition, this other thing that people were, you know, putting their eyeballs on rather than the pages of a magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so that market is, is beginning to shrink. So, right, so right. The digests are, are getting fewer and fewer. Mm-hmm. And a really important figure during this time in science fiction publishing and in the genre is John W. Campbell who literary okay. science fiction types are going to are going to hear me say this and go well I mean yeah you got to talk about Campbell. And Campbell was this incredibly powerful very important editor. Okay. Essentially. Okay. And um he was a very very big uh uh influence on the genre as a whole based on the kind of stuff he was publishing other editors took cues from what he was looking for writers of course were taking his notes going okay, okay. No, change this up do this thing do right this. right and so we start seeing in the 50s and the very early 60s we we start seeing the genre in in large part thanks to campbell moving away from planetary adventure okay which was was the the overarching theme in mm-hmm. It was the, the convention at the time. It was the convention yeah. at the time of what a science fiction story was. And it, we're starting to move into being more sophisticated, more literary kind of work with fuller characterization and bigger ideas. This mm-hmm. is the very, mm-hmm. very beginnings in the early 50s and then into the 60s. We start seeing the very beginnings of what we would call literary science fiction. We start seeing the beginnings of what we call soft science fiction. Okay. Uh, I'm going to need some terms there. Okay, so literary science fiction mm-hmm. is exactly what it says on the tin. It's it is a science fiction story that is uh, literary in nature and is focused on the the internal character uh, driven, you know, a literary story arc. Okay, you know where you where you yeah. have you know there's there's more there's more internal life to the characters. It's mm-hmm. less like an early Shakespearean revenge play and more like Hamlet. Okay, okay. To, to, to give a literary analogy yes, that would yes. kind of make that easier to understand. Um, and so that's that's literary SF. Okay. Um, which is now largely dominant and mm-hmm. and as as the as the archetype for stories. You don't get a lot of 
John Carter of Mars, sword swinging. You right. Know, my, this this is I give you a physical description of my hero, and mm-hmm. then I don't really spend an awful lot of time in his head. Right. Right. You know, now, no, no, we know. You know, there's there's an awful lot of of emotional. You know complexity there's mm-hmm. there's more depth to characterization right um so that's literary science fiction okay soft science fiction yes is science fiction that deals with society mm-hmm. and philosophy and social issues in a speculative way okay as opposed to earlier science fiction now i'm not going to say hard science fiction because you can have a soft science fiction story mm-hmm. that in common parlance is very hard. And I'm going to get into explaining that in a second. But soft science fiction as a subgenre okay. is speculative fiction about uh, uh, social developments. Okay. Uh, if a story is primarily about what is the world going to look like with overcrowding and climate change in the next 30 years... Mm-hmm. The parts of it that are dealing with overcrowding and the social changes mm-hmm. is going to be soft science fiction. Yeah, okay. see, I always thought that's just what sci-fi was. So that's a subset. Okay, because it's, because yeah. earlier mm-hmm. science fiction had been about let's talk about the physics of this situation. A story like the cold equations. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a very significant portion of the story in the cold equations. That is all about physics and math, and we only have so much fuel in the ship. Okay. This is kind of how things have to go. Um, now, the cold equations can also be looked at through a soft science fiction lens because of the things it says about right, right. Uh, corporate greed and and industrial you know mm-hmm. safety regulations and all that kind of stuff. And and that story has been critiqued left, right, and center politically economically morally by a whole host of people sure but you know if you're talking about the physics of a problem or you're talking about astral mechanics or you're talking about chemistry right or the mechanisms of faster than light travel mm-hmm. that is that's more classical hard science with quotes fiction on it. science fiction yeah. now the thing is mm-hmm. when i say that you can have a soft science fiction story that mm-hmm. is hard there's also hard SF and soft SF in the sense of, are you writing a space opera story like Star Wars, which is basically science fantasy, hand wavium right. to explain, well, we have hyperspace and that's how we get from place to place. Or are you writing a story more like Contact? Okay. In which, okay, no, no, we're going to talk about mm-hmm. the science that's involved and everything that I'm writing in this story has to be scientifically plausible. But it's really about someone's internal struggle or internal life. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. but but all the science is, or the Martian right. would be a really good example of a hard science fiction story that is still literary. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, I wouldn't call it a soft SF story because... It's the struggle this one guy has, and it's uh-huh. man versus environment. So he doesn't. It's a get survival into story. Yeah. It's a survival story. Yeah. So it's not in this vein that I'm talking whereas, about. Whereas, whereas, if we looked at, um, say, Pitch Black, yeah, uh, that could be considered more of a soft sci-fi because you are using that same problem that he faced, stuck on yeah. a planet, blah blah blah. Yeah. But it's showing how everybody's personalities come out and how they deal with the thing. Yes. Okay, I see. And it's it. and it's also softer in the sense that 
okay, we're going to take for granted that we have faster than light travel, we have prison planets, we have this, that, and the other thing. Yes, yes. And it doesn't spend a lot of time going into the details of Here's how Here's how we works. got there. Okay, yeah. okay. It's a yeah. ripping adventure yarn. Right. It spends a lot of time talking about the interplay between these characters, how they're all going to react. Right. So so that's that's what I'm what I'm talking about soft science fiction when I talk about Dune as soft science fiction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it is sociological philosophical soft science fiction. It's also literary because we spend an awful lot of time inside everybody's head. Mm-hmm. My God, these characters can't ever get out of their fucking heads. Well, why would you if the language is so flowy? Oh God! So, as you said uh, last time, yeah. Well, well, flowery. I, yeah. I don't know about flowy, uh, <laughs> but but definitely elaborate. Um, and and so that's that's when, when in the context of talking about Dune, when I call it soft science fiction, that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Now it is also planet. It is straight up planetary romance, which is not hard SF. Okay. Um. He, because he it's does, not so much how he got there or how or, or the how, weapons are made or anything like that. It, he doesn't it's, explain how the spice gives yeah. you psychic powers. It's right. just this is the spice that gives you psychic powers. We need those psychic powers because hydraulic empire. Right. Okay, right. Okay. So that's that's what I'm talking about there. And so during this time period, mm-hmm. we're it, or prior to Dune, we're starting to see the beginnings of soft SF. Okay. Okay. The very earliest kind of. You know, touching around the edges of it. We're starting to see the beginnings of it. Um, and literary science fiction, same kind of way. Now, the genre was still at this time dominated almost entirely by white men. Mm-hmm. Now, Andre Norton was a major female voice in the genre already. C.J. Cherry, Ursula K. Le Guin uh, were getting published. So don't anybody at me about you just erased these, you know, critically important women in the canon of science fiction. No, I know they were there. But, but again, they remember, were outstanding. They were but not, they were outstanding. Just yeah. like I said in the last episode, we remember them because they stood out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the overwhelming majority of authors at the time were were male, and the even more overwhelming majority were white. Mm-hmm. Um, critics at the time were not giving Norton. Cher- well, Norton is a really special case. Norton got critical attention from the beginning. Uh, but Cherry and, and Le Guin, I can never remember whether to say her last name again or Leguin. somebody please tell mm-hmm. us on the on on twitter um they were getting published but critics were not giving them the same attention as male writers and the feminist ideas that were starting to appear in their work didn't get acknowledged okay until it didn't really start getting attention and really being taken seriously until the 70s so we're still a decade away from that right Ricky, and, and what a decade by yeah, the way well, yeah. like it's it's it is a decade in number only. Yeah. You know, in terms yeah. of actual change over time, it's it's a generation at yeah. least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Wikipedia estimates that women made up about 10% to 15% of published SF writers during this time period. There is debate. Apologists want to try to argue, to me it's unconvincing, but they want to try to argue that SF was always a welcoming place for outsiders, uh-huh. to which I respond that Isaac Asimov, who's a titan within the genre, was a known, uh, um, what's the phrase, uh, a trick step uh, at conventions. The, the person that, like, if you're in the know, you know to kind of stay away. You oh, yeah, know, we've that, mentioned that, this a that number step, of times. That step, that step is wonky. Kind of give him space. Oh, okay, okay. You know, that he he was yeah. he was getting away with making rude jokes, touching women inappropriately, and, and like, beyond even the level to which that was background noise in right, that generation. Right. He was 
known as a dirty old man for years and so, allowed so, to be and more yeah and, and was yeah. and was aided and abetted and and you know mm-hmm. uh, enabled is the word i've been hunting for there um and so you can you can tell me all you want that the space was welcoming to outsiders and then i'm gonna throw that back at you Mm-hmm. because that gets in the way of women being comfortable in those spaces, being able to have conversations with other writers, with publishers to make the kinds of social connections that lead to them moving up within the genre, within the industry. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So anyway, okay. Stepping off my soapbox there for a moment, but so anyway, that's, that's kind of what was going on publishing wise. Twilight zone mm. ended in 64. Yep. Outer Limits ran until 1965. Right. And I think this is important. Mm-hmm. Um, Star Trek didn't start until 66. Correct. So the idea of Trek, mm-hmm. the particular philosophy, the particular mm-hmm. everything that was part of, of Roddenberry's vision. Right. Is a different animal. Yes. From what we see in Dune. Yes. And so that's that's they're not the this they're two branches. I was gonna say of, it's almost of, like of the tree, yeah. You know, move, moving moving from from similar rootstock, but going philosophically in different. Yeah, there is a there is a an evolutionary divide right there. Yes. between those two yes, as they become separate species. Yeah. Or, uh, maybe or, in the or same genera. Genus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, I, don't, I don't know my taxonomy well, yeah. but I'm thinking bonobos versus chimps. I might even go back. Farther okay, so that. monkeys and apes. Mon- monkeys and apes. Okay, okay. I'm I'm, cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna make it a bigger split. Sure, than that sure. In my own head, that's that's kind of how I see it. I just you know Gene Roddenberry yeah. trying to fuck everything. Yeah, so. well, yeah, yeah. So, well, you know, so he'd he'd be a bonobo, and I'm trying to think. Anyway, we, we could. Yeah. Well, someday we'll have to come up with a way to expand that analogy in another episode because <laughs> I want to have that talk. But, um, so so on TV. Uh huh. We've had Twilight Zone. We've had Outer Limits, which are both anthology series, self-contained, neither, which were self-contained, yeah. and and neither of which, number one, they never they never had an overarching arc. Correct. Um, and number two, um, they they didn't because of budgetary issues and small screen. Mm-hmm. You didn't see a lot of sweeping galactic vistas the scale of all of the stories owing owing to the size of that box the scale of the stories was all very it's all soft very close very personal and it is all soft science fiction yes um stranger in a strange land Mm -hmm. by heinlein right who remember i mentioned herbert said is my idol one of my dudes yeah Yeah. uh was published in 61 okay now brief segue to talk about stranger in a strange land because mm-hmm. um, t- when we talked about Heinlein, i briefly got into it uh stranger in a strange land is a is a philosophical science fiction book uh-huh uh where Heinlein riffs on sexuality organized religion politics but mostly sexuality and organized religion those God. those are like the two biggest right things there i just wonder what what how and long the erection lasted for Gene Roddenberry as he was coming through <laughs> oh, that. I'm sure Gene yeah. Roddenberry read Stranger to Strange Land and was like, yes, this, yeah. all of this, oh yes. my God. And and the thing is, Heinlein, in the end, 
comes around to reaffirming mm-hmm. spirituality. Oh, okay. Comes around to reaffirming there is an order to the galaxy. There is an order oh. to the universe. There is an intelligence to the universe, and it is ultimately benign. That's interesting because I don't know if you remember, but when we talked about Starship Troopers, I'd mentioned that one of the sequels to the Starship Troopers movie, because there were like two or three yeah. sequels. Yeah, yeah. One of them was just straight to video. Yeah, well, they, yeah, uh, yeah. But one of them, and it was it, it was the one that had T'Pol in it. Yeah. Um, the gal who played T'Pol. Um, I don't remember her name right now, but uh, it'll it'll Jillian come to me. Blaylock? Yeah, yeah, Jolene Blaylock. Um, but. You've got, got a lot of got home a lot name of, advantage. Got, got got a lot of questions about you yeah. know, whether she was a sure, cousin of sure. mine. I was like, uh, she always say yes. Always say I, yes. I said, well, I said I don't know. My brother always says that, uh, you know, yeah, he's he's really upset at the former attorney general bringing the nice, family name nice. down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so Jolene Blaylock was in the one where it it is. I mean, you know, it's it's still that world. Yeah. And it does come back around to like religion and spirituality are yeah. are very much an important part of the human experience and therefore a benign a, a good a, a a mathematical good. Okay. Um, in terms an of, absolute yeah. good. Yeah, an absolute yeah. good. Uh, and so it's just interesting that Heinlein did actually write something that came to that same conclusion. And now yeah. I'm starting to wonder if the directors were were not ju- were not trying to service that in some way instead of just kind of going off on their own and going, you know, I like Jesus though. <laughs> so could be, yeah. I I'd have that to, is heartening have to, watch to be it, honest. To, to see, yeah, yeah. So um, and and now that I've kind of. I mean, I haven't given away the plot of the ending, but I've, oh, I've kind of, I've kind of given away, you know, the, the ultimate conclusion he comes to. But along the way, he makes a series of very sharp satirical oh, okay. jabs at organized religion, uh-huh. um, and at you know the way that people wind up bending it to mm-hmm. their own needs, mm-hmm. and then the interplay between um, morality and religion and sexuality mm-hmm. the i mean the, the simplification of of right. the main characters of, of the religion that the main character winds up founding is uh everybody involved winds up being in one very large polycule oh, okay within the religious community um and um they they don't just practice symbolic cannibalism the way christians do they actually practice no no when when one of the members of the community dies, we make them part of ourselves. Okay. By putting them in the spaghetti. Um, which was this like wildly radical, holy shit kind of, you know, controversial thing in the book at the time. Now we've sure. seen so much more shocking stuff. Well, and and it, they popularize it in the the movie 8 Mile with Eminem. Um, cuz there's spaghetti. Yeah. Vomit on his sweater nice, already. It's nice. mom's spaghetti. Yeah, I'm not even. It's not mom's spaghetti. It's mom mom's is spaghetti. spaghetti. Okay. Yeah. yeah all right. Well, mom's there you spaghetti. Go. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm not. Uh, no. 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 Not not, not a good not a good day, sir. Okay. Um. So, but um. You know, he 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 goes on this on this long riff about okay. religion and religions that are in interrelationship with all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so there are some very, very big ways in which we can see this showing up in Herbert's thinking. Okay. When we get into the philosophy that he gets into and sure. explores in Dune. Um, and also importantly, Stranger in a Strange Land became a huge youth counterculture hit. Okay. The phrase, can you grok? 
Right. Became part of hippie parlance. Right. Taken from the Martian language Mm -hmm. in which drinking is grok. Okay. But what's important about that is Heinlein went off on kind of a linguist riff because there's there's so many so much more depth of meaning to it. It's not just to drink something and and quench your thirst. Right. There is quenching of thirst. There is absorbing something into yourself and making, making it, it making it part of you. Right, right. We and, talked about and, this with Heinlein. Yeah, yeah, and and understanding and all of this other kind of sure. stuff. Sure. And so that that like whoa man that's that's deep, which it is. I mean, sure. to be honest. But that that became part of the parlance of counterculture that became part of the vocabulary right. at the same time as Eastern mysticism was, was being, you know, adopted in bits and pieces. And, yep, yep. you know, we had a discussion about appropriation of it when we were talking about star Wars, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so, so uh, stranger in a strange land became this thing that was part of mass consciousness coming out of the science fiction genre. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is important later on down the line now the other big book that was huge in the counterculture was lord of the rings and not just in the counterculture it was main it was recognized in the mainstream but it was huge in counterculture yeah, and even though it had been written so long before yeah it was, it's college students that are kind of picking it up yeah, yeah and and lord of the rings had originally been published in the u.s in 57 mm-hmm. the hobbit as we all know from falcon and winter soldier was 37 but right getting getting off the subject um and Lord of the Rings was hugely popular by the standards of genre fiction by 1965. Right. 1965, it should be noted, is the year that a paperback edition was put out in the U.S., uh, which was the edition that I first read oh, because okay. my father had a copy of it Okay. in the Ballantine paperback edition from 65, frequently referred to as the hippie edition Oh. because the artwork that was on it was incredibly evocative Mm -hmm. like really really evocative very um uh um not abstract but very very impressionistic Uh um and not very accurate to anything that was actually in the books but But looking at it there there was a definite emotional message that came off that came off the cover and i it, it had a profound impact on, on my own imagination sure. as, a, as a kid. Uh, and so overall, in 1965, we have science fiction that's going through this transition from mm-hmm. we want to write stories to educate people about science and make it not feel like you're eating your vegetables. Right. To, no, no, if we're going to play with ideas, let's play with ideas. And while we're playing with ideas, let's also actually tell stories about people. Mm-hmm. And do their internal, you know, talk about their what's going on in their heads and their emotional states. Right. And and develop actual characters. And we have science fiction being there in the mainstream and some things getting picked up and being popular. Sure. And a lot of stuff still being very niche. And, um, you know, we've talked about, we, you did an excellent couple of episodes about the Twilight Zone they were popular they Mm -hmm. they were they they were held on to by a subset of the population for a very long time as beloved cultural touchstones but at the time they were never must-see tv they were never huge ratings right right um 
and Lord of the Rings was mostly a youth culture counterculture thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's the overarching environment in which Herbert went to 20 publishers before finally getting to Chilton and getting Chilton to agree right. to publish this this uh, uh, serial of his that he had edited into a mm-hmm. novel, or pair of serials that he had edited into a novel. And so I think um, the best thing to do next Mm-hmm. is to summarize as much as we can summarize it the plot and universe of dune okay and i'm going to pause right here to allow all of the dune fans in the audience to get over the fit of hysterical laughter they're about to have because summarizing this is a joke yeah, i'm not <laughs> in on the jokes i, I well, genuinely there, thought there you were is summarize. there is there is a shit ton going on here so the okay. the the summary of the plot of the book that i'm about to give mm-hmm well, people are going to have a reaction to it. So anyway, okay. Paul Atreides, the heir of Duke Leto Atreides by Lady Jessica, uh-huh. travels with his father and his father's household from his birth world, the oceanic paradise Caladan, okay. to Arrakis, known colloquially as Dune, because it's covered by deserts. Okay. Dune is important because it is the only known source of the spice melange, Ah. A substance that extends life and grants psychic powers. Because of the psychic powers part, it's a critical part of the galaxy's economy because precognition is required for spaceships to navigate at faster than light speeds. And I would imagine also, uh, if you imbibe the spice, then you would be able to, I don't know, like, with precognition, know what people are, are wanting. And so, like, if your sister took the spice as a girl she could tell you what you want what you really really want and you would tell her what you want what you really 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 want want. yeah so okay that makes sense yeah i am so angry at you right now good 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 day sir god damn it that's awful what uh that'd be a scary amount of spice really that that especially if a ginger got a hold of the spice you know you know i'm pretty sure i'm actually i'm not pretty sure i'm certain that there is there are any number of memes that involve all of them with with blue and blue glowing eyes oh good spice good i'm sure like it has to be was it restricted to the wealthy though was it just posh spice oh wow or athletes sporty spice right as it were yeah yeah Yeah, no uh but house harkonnen uh-huh. Is full of redheads. So, so there ginger was spice. lots of ginger spice, yeah. yeah. And Paul's sister, as we said, was younger, so obviously baby spice. Baby spice, yeah. Yeah. And you know, the funny we'll get to that. Because <laughs> that's that's actually more more on the nose than than you know right now. <laughs> so um Paul's father and uh-huh. most of his father's army uh wound up being killed by the family's ancient enemies, House Harkonnen, with the help of the Emperor, who sees Duke Leto as a threat. Okay. Paul flees to join the indigenous population of Arrakis, the Fremen, with his mother. Fremen. Fremen. That sounds really similar to a word uh, for North Africans. I don't remember what the word is, though. Not Bedouin, but... Uh, I'm pretty sure it's it's just a, just, a contraction yeah. of free men. Oh, okay. But but cool. it's we might look it up yeah, yeah. here in a minute. Along the way... Mm-hmm. Paul finds out he's a super psychic, becomes the leader of the Fremen, ultimately overthrows the Emperor, and takes his place using control of the spice as leverage. Oh, man. He who can destroy a thing controls a thing. 
Fuck. What? Well, just like I had hoped, you know, and I had predicted. So, you know, I'm a little bummed that I was this far wrong. But Little Rich Boy comes back using the indigenous peoples to just make himself, you know, and his family that had been slightly deposed. Oh, we got to we got to get into the philosophy of this because because here's the thing. That's a summary of the plot of the first of of the book. Okay. Stripped down to comprehensibility. And (laughs) let me explain to you what literally happens in the story. Right, right, right. In five minutes or less. Sure. Well done. But but to anybody who is a fan of the book, Mm -hmm. I just committed a crime. Because... There are there are so many details. You left out Tom Bombadil. That, yeah, I left out. Yeah, to 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 summarize yeah. what I fucked up, I left out Tom Bombadil, and I left out the scouring of the Shire, which I think is a bigger deal. Okay. Yeah. Um. And of course, you know, we're talking inside baseball at this right. point, um, or whatever sport hobbits play. Um. I, so I imagine rounders. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> Just kind of. So. Yeah. So, so we need, so that's, that's what happens in the book. Right. But there's so much more to the book than just that coming of age, planetary romance, revenge story. Mm -hmm. There's all this world building and there's all of these layers of intrigue outside of Paul and his mother and the Fremen Mm -hmm. and everything that's going on in Imperial politics surrounding all of this. And like... I didn't even mention Baron Harkonnen and the shit right. that happens in Baron Harkonnen's family. Okay. Like Baron Harkonnen and his nephews jockeying and, 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 and Baron Harkonnen uh, manipulating both of his nephews against each other. And recalling a simpler you know, time to like justify it. Cause he's Harkonnen back to that. Nicely done. Thank I'm not you. even mad about that one. <laughs> That's good. So the universe of Dune is so big mm-hmm. and Herbert does this amazing job of making it feel vast and impossibly ancient and impossibly far in the future. Okay. Um, and lived in mm-hmm. and, and he does it with, cause I've mentioned this before the, the price of this is we get a whole lot of exposition from a whole lot right. of characters in a lot of places. And sometimes it's incredibly ham fisted, but at other times it's done in this really deft, remarkably, remarkably well done way. Cool. Um, and yeah. and so you know, the, my summary doesn't get to the ideas that he's talking about, sure, which are huge. As I, I kind of already said, it the plot arc, just the, the this this is the story of Paul Atreides, uh-huh. is a pretty bog standard planetary romance, a la John Carter of Mars. Sure, you know, uh, but it transcends planetary romance. Because it speaks to huge, vast themes and sociopolitical philosophy and history and genetics and... Okay, fuck it. We just got to get started. Yeah. So, the Galactic Padishah Empire, the overarching okay. setting, sure, is the result of thousands of years of human diaspora. Okay. It's a vast network of worlds that either were habitable from the beginning or were terraformed so long ago that everybody takes it largely for granted. Sure. One of the things that 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 people keep bringing up all the time throughout the book, one of the mysteries about Arrakis is, mm-hmm. why haven't they just controlled the weather to not make it an inhospitable desert over 70% of its surface? 
Like, we know there are weather control, like, they refer to weather control stations. Uh-huh. And part of the intrigue and part of the mystery of the planet and part of the reveal mm-hmm. is, well, <laughs> yes, there are. And we got we, we, we learn mm-hmm. what the machinations have been that have, that have kept them that way. Okay. But so we know that establishes for us that terraforming is a thing mm-hmm. that the technology exists to, to reshape planets, but, but it hasn't worked on Dune. And, and one of the earliest conversations that's, that's an exposition at the beginning of the book is, well, okay, they have weather control. Like, why don't they just use weather control satellites? Well, right. You know, the magnetic field of the planet and the sandstorms, you know, destroy stuff. And it's just so, and the explanation everybody in universe has bought Mm -hmm. is no, no, it's just so incredibly harsh that it's that it's just not feasible. It's not financially feasible. It just it's too expensive. Nobody nobody okay. can marshal the resources to have it done. So it is actually possible, but it is not practical. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Which is a really good hand wavy way to do yeah, it. Yeah. It's, to yeah. Be if you're gonna hand if you're gonna hand wavy him something, that's, that's yeah. A, that's that's, a, that's a good one. That's an easy one to buy. Yeah. Um. And so. I mean, we don't desalinate ocean water. Yeah. We have the ability. We have the capacity. Right. Uh, Earth mm-hmm. never gets mentioned. Again, Earth taken for never granted. Comes though, right? up. Yeah. And yeah. and well. And diaspora. And out the and wazoo. and yeah. and it's happened. And in kind of in later books in the original trilogy, or in the original series, because it's more than three books. But in mm-hmm. in in later books in in this series, um, Paul's son, mm-hmm. who who. Because the book moves through generations. Okay. Paul's son, if I'm remembering correctly, at a couple of points, you know, has mentions, you know, the planet we all came from is so dimly remembered, we, we don't even remember where in the galaxy it is. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So, so. It's like the reverse of Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. 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 And. Um, Do you think BSG was kind of responding to that i think like or partly. like oh you know we kind of like this idea let's let's invert it yeah okay I, I well you know it's it's a theme that that could could be mm-hmm. you know we're, we're gonna we're gonna have these people hunting for earth because right you know it's so far in the future that they don't remember where it is right and i yeah i think definitely based on the timeline i think sure it, it sure. could it could be taken from that um and and for me the fact that they never they like not even in passing mm-hmm. earth never comes up in the course of the book. Okay. The Imperial capital planet, mm-hmm. uh, doesn't actually get named. It's just referred to as the throne world. We find out later on. It's the planet Kaitan. Okay. Or Kaitane. No, Kaitan. Sorry. Now the emperor, mm-hmm. the Padasha emperor, Shaddam the fourth rules from the planet Kaitan and his supremacy over the nobles of his empire mm-hmm. is assured by the terrifying Sardaukar, who are his hardened elite soldiers whose cruelty and ruthlessness is legendary and whose origins and training are a very closely guarded secret. Is this where you get the space folding because so many of them can fit in a single Sardaukar and you just let them out and they just keep coming out? Nice. Thank you. Nice. Uh, Now it turns out the Emperor's legions all come from the hellish prison planet of Seleucus Secundus. Uh, and their toughness and ruthless cruelty is a result of having, having been raised on a hell planet. Okay. Okay. I'm, but, I'm, but I'm hearing so many echoes in other things. 
Yeah. I mean, this is this is the the really terrible version of Pitch Black, the sequel. Uh, you you have yeah. the Necromongers, the Emperor of the Necromongers, uh, Fiorins, uh-huh. uh, you know, and Riddick being born of them, and all kinds of shit. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. So again, but this this is also and and you haven't really touched on it yet. Maybe you will, but this seems really really Hebrew. The really, sun really being Semitic. Semitic, yeah. I I would say Hebrew because you mentioned the diaspora. Okay. Um, and I don't know. It, well, I just used yeah. diaspora as a term. For, true, like, true, you know, true. I, I used it in a, in a very generalized kind of way. But it does it does feel very Semitic in that the 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 sun is very very important. You know, yeah. the, like S O N, not yeah. S U N. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Well, okay. and that's and that's also that's also a trope because we're talking about an intergalactic aristocracy and true, true. And yeah, you're right. You're I, right. I, I I think there there is a very strong influence from Lawrence of Arabia. Mm, okay, here yeah. and so we're we're seeing British Semitism a European, in some weird well, way. Well, a yeah. European a European aristocratic mm-hmm. right set of ideals commingling with very very clearly Mm -hmm. uh like like the fremen are clearly xps for uh uh the bedouin okay yeah yeah so so that's that's more what was going on in 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 herbert's imagination in his head here and so um so so the the emperor has this army of terrifying Super soldiers. I know I said Semitic. I'm sorry yeah. to come back to this real quick. His yeah. name's Paul. Yes. So yeah, oh yeah. there's you know there, well, there's yeah. some stuff going on yeah. there. But okay, anyway. Yeah. Um. So yeah. so terrifying super soldiers. Yeah. Okay. Uh. Now, it, as I already mentioned, yeah, uh-huh. they're, they're they are as terrifying as they are because mm-hmm. they've all been raised on a death world, and then trained to be fanatically loyal to the emperor because mm-hmm. he's the one. Who's going to take them and make them elite and get right. them out of this hellhole world? And because of because of their upbringing, because of the hardship they've been through, they're worth you know twenty ordinary men and and all this you know psyops yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of stuff. Now, speaking of fighting men mm-hmm. within this universe, combat is a very retro affair. Swords and knives. Uh single combat single single combat or massed combat with hand-to-hand weapons oh wow and the reason for this in universe is high-speed projectile weapons have been rendered pointless by personal force fields the technology exists right you have a shield generator oh i remember that you have a shield generator on your belt right one of the things that keeps coming up is you know the slow knife pierces the shield right so you you have to fight with a certain level of finesse Mm -hmm. you know and so there's a great deal of skill involved in being a warrior and oh they touched um, on that in clone wars Teaching Saw Gerrera to throw a grenade when he was a teenager to throw a grenade under uh, the shield generator of a droidica. Okay, well, there you go. So, yeah. yeah, and yeah. yeah. So, again, influences being felt Too fast, it bounces off the shield. Too slow, slow, it doesn't get there. Doesn't get, yeah. You just gotta, you gotta get, get it just right. You gotta get yeah. it just right. Yeah. And so, um, if you... And now energy weapons do exist. They have las guns. Okay. But if you hit a shield with a las gun beam, mm-hmm. it generates a fusion explosion. That is highly unpredictable, mm-hmm. but 
universally lethal to both the firer and the target. Well, but if it's and from it a distance, might, does it just travel it, back? It, 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 the, the, the reaction is unpredictable. At the very least, it's going to travel back along the path of the laser beam oh, and, okay. and burn both of you in radioactive flame. Okay. Alternatively, everybody around you could get really unlucky. And, no, no, you just set off an H-bomb. Right, you just like, killed like, on, oh, oh, seven people or, because you're or, George Lasgun B all the way back to you. Nice, nice work. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I love this dodge. Okay. This, this talk yeah, about yeah. talk about hand wavy him. This this gives us an interstellar aristocratic empire mm-hmm. that that is built around all of those tropes from the age of chivalry. Right. In a setting mm-hmm. where that shouldn't make any sense. Right, because you do have you have such technology. You have faster than light. You have right. personal fucking force. Like, like you have the ability to create a force field, which as far as anybody can figure out, essentially violates all the laws of physics as we understand them right. now. Like, energy just doesn't work that way. Right. So you can do that. You have faster than light travel. Mm-hmm. You have all, you have weather control. You have all this mm-hmm, amazing mm-hmm. technology, but you still have an entrenched noble class with, armies of of fairly elite mm-hmm. hand-to-hand combat warriors knights like yeah. you're like you know you there's know, something it, it wouldn't about... make sense if you didn't come you had to you have to come up with an explanation of right. why that is and and of all of the solutions anybody's come up with i look at that one and go all right that one i'll buy see it's interesting too because i remember like there's essentially and you know this better than i uh, during uh, medieval times, there's an arms race between weapons and armor. Oh, yeah. And every time armor gets a leg up, somebody comes up with a better weapon. So, oh, you, you found armor that doesn't pierce? We're going to bludgeon you. Oh, you found armor that, that stands up to bludgeoning? Here's a stick. And we're just going to fire it really fast at you. <laughs> you know? And then, oh, you gave up on, on everything. And now you're just sending guys out wearing shirts when you could have been wearing quilted armor again, which was standing up to slashing. But now we've moved yeah. on. Um, this world is one in which the armor won, not the weapon won. Yeah. I find that well, interesting. You know, uh, in in political science mm-hmm. uh, back in college, one of the uh, one of the one of the central uh, themes that, that we got into talking about was the balance of power between defensive technology mm-hmm. and offensive technology and the effect that has on politics. Yes. When, when defense is in the ascendance, when, mm-hmm. when I can just sit here behind the Maginot line and ha right. uh, fuck you, you can't right. get to me. I have all the entrenchments. That's a very different environment from that. <laughs> I figured out Blitzkrieg. Fuck all y'all. Right. You know. Yeah. The the calculus that political actors un- go through. Oh, it was all about. Use, yeah. Is dramatically different when okay no the the energy expenditure involved in using violent action to mm-hmm. to gain our 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 goals is is worth it as opposed to we're going to get stomped. Right. Or or not even we're going to get stomped but. No, no, we'll win, mm-hmm. but the amount of energy we're going to have to expend is huge. Right. You know, leads to stalemate, leads to cold wars. I was going to say, you, you got, know. I mean, it basically, uh, if you have defense as being ascendant, you have essentially cunning as being your main weapon. 
and you have treaties and diplomacy as being your main uh, way of conquering. Of, tools, yeah. of, tools of conquest, tools Be- of statecraft. Because I'm thinking of Troy. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm thinking of all the shit that Romulus did. Um, <laughs> Jesus, that guy was such a brilliant prick. Um, but like, you know, and I'm thinking yeah. of the Ottoman Empire. Yeah. You know, and, and the, the fall of Constantinople. Yes. You know, and, and stuff like that. And the use of plague bodies and shit like that. Like, yeah. you get, yeah. Like, oh, you can stand up to your, uh, this here, uh, siege? Cool. We're gonna poison your water. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. No, so, yeah. No, the, the Dirty Tricks Brigade gets much, much more, yeah. more important. And by the way, mm-hmm. speaking of, we got multiple Dirty Tricks Brigades in oh. the, in the Padishah Empire. Oh, good, good. Uh, everybody really is a Dirty Tricks Brigade. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, so the, the, the first Dirty Tricks Brigade we're going to talk about is the Bene Gesserit, who are a sisterhood. It okay. is it is an all-female society. Okay. Uh, and I say society in, in the sense of organization. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Not culture. Because uh, they're part of the overarching culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're a quasi-religious sisterhood who have made themselves indispensable to the nobility. Uh, by learning to read people in excruciating detail. Mm-hmm. Sisters of the Bene Gesserit are trained in walking into a room and reading somebody in a matter of moments. In okay. two or three verbal exchanges. Mm-hmm. They've got you figured. They've got you figured out. Yeah. And so in this setting, mm-hmm. that's really, if you have a Bene Gesserit as your... Again, that steps up your cunning. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so... Uh, they are trained in multiple languages. They are trained mm-hmm. to be, you know, diplomats, managers, mm-hmm. you know, uh, soft power right. manipulators. Right. Now they are also simultaneously, and this mm-hmm. is kept, they keep this close to the vest. Everybody suspects it. And the Bene Gesserit consistently, Herbert, like over and over and over again, uses the phrase Bene Gesserit witch. I was going to ask continually use that phrase right. over and over to the point that two of the major characters, Lady Jessica and Thufir Hawat, mm-hmm. she calls him on it when he stops himself short of saying it to her face. Ah. She says, no, no, no. Say Go what you were going to say. Yeah. I know you were... say it. Right. Betty Jesuit witch. Okay. Yeah. And then spoiler alert, she shows him just exactly how powerful she is because what they're able to do mm-hmm. They not only can read you instantaneously, mm-hmm. once they've read you, they can manipulate the pitch and intonation of their voice oh. to essentially compel you to do shit. Okay. So think the cleric spell command. Right. You know, sit down. Right, right. And they will know exactly the pitch to, to get right straight to, to your lizard to brain. You. You're right, right. And you will not be able to not mm-hmm. sit down. Um, in in uh, Jessica and Paul's escape after Leto and the rest of House Atreides are betrayed and, and killed mm-hmm. in the invasion, um, at one point uh, they're they're being hauled out into the desert to be to be killed and dumped in the desert. And they've got two pilots, one of whom has been intentionally rendered deaf. Ah. So, because they know she's a Bene Gesserit and they know they can do shit. Right. So we're going to make sure. It's like a different version of Unix. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, but only one of them is deaf. 
she gets a read on both of them mm-hmm. and and the one pilot who is not deaf mm-hmm. she says oh gentlemen you don't need to fight over me uh... and a second later he's reaching across the cockpit cuts the other guy's throat so yeah yeah they are also and this um, only people who who are trusted by the by the sisterhood know this one they are trained in uh muscular and nervous control of their own bodies one, one of their biggest okay. powers one of the things he keeps coming back to is the level of iron control they have over okay. their own like they can they can essentially it's biofeedback which was starting to be a big thing mm-hmm. in the 50s and into the 60s they're able to, you know, the, the, the legends that came out about, you know, uh, meditating monks in Nepal being able to, you know, slow their own heart rate to a crawl right, and, and right. you know, enter a catatonic state. In this book, they've studied and they can do that same kind of stuff, sure. which also means that they look really unassuming. Mm-hmm. And the ones that are really senior in the sisterhood are all old women and mm-hmm, look mm-hmm. like old ladies. Yeah. But if you get into a fight with one of them, they will render yeah, you past tense right like because in the amount of time it'll take for you to swing at them mm-hmm. number one they they know when you're going to attack because right. they can They've read, read you. you yeah yeah and and they have such control over everything that they can just you know they can dodge they can grab they mm-hmm. yeah, they're mm-hmm. they are way like they're not unstoppable but they're way more dangerous than you would think right right and so paul's mother the lady jessica is a benny jesuit Okay. And we know this so they're from not, the first couple of pages of, of the book. So they're, it's all women that do this, but they're not Vestal Virgins or anything. No, no. No, okay. quite the opposite. Because oh. because their goal, mm-hmm. which is a secret, which only their closest allies know, uh, or their tools really, uh-huh. know is the Betty Jesuit are working to maintain specific gene lines okay. within human society. And so they will be trained and then sent off to work for a noble house and they will be the consorts. And most of the time mm-hmm. they bear daughters. Okay. Because this is a heavily macho, you know, sexist wow. society. Yeah, yeah. Daughters aren't going to wind up getting sent off to combat. Right. And the whole goal is to try to preserve certain, certain bloodlines. Many Betty Jesuit sisters, Lady Jessica amongst them don't actually know who their mothers are. Oh, and they don't they don't know their own parentage. Okay. Um, and spoiler alert, the book is over fifty years old, so it doesn't really count. Mm-hmm. We find out that Lady Jessica is actually the daughter of Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, who is the one working to engineer the murder of her husband, because the Bene Gesserit want to mm-hmm. want to try to preserve the genetics of House Atreides and the genetics of House Harkonnen. Okay. Because their ultimate goal is to try to breed a messiah, the Kwisatz Haderach, who's going to be able uh, to do... I remember that word. Yes, who's going to be able to do all the psychic shit they can do, mm-hmm. which we'll get into more of their psychic stuff in a second. Sure. And then more, who will surpass them. Gotcha. Um, essentially, a reverend mother of the Bene Gesserit... Mm-hmm has awakened her perception, has awakened her, her... She's passed through the doors of perception. Right. Opened her third eye. Opened her third eye. And she is able to uh, remember things in ancestral memory. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, her own her own ancestry, the, 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 the uh, mother's superior and, mm-hmm. and, and 
uh, reverend mothers who've come before her, she's able to look back through that memory into the far past. Okay. And that, that's also very useful as advisors because sure. they have this, they have the potential to do this incredibly long view. Now, the thing is, they're only able to look down the female line. That's... The male, the male right. line is, is if, if a, if a reverend mother tries to go down into that part of memory mm-hmm. that will consume her, render her, oh, okay. render her insane, render her canatonic killer, what have you. So, and so the Kwisatz Haderach mm-hmm. is going to be a male, essentially mother superior, uh, right. a reverend mother who will be able to look down both paths. So there's a few things there. One, uh, when you have a group of gibbons, uh, the the females I love the jumps that get made make up when we're having these conversations. But yeah, the okay. females make up the majority of the troop, and males will come in and stay for about two months, get laid as much as they can. But then the females will start saying no, and then the males will move on. Yeah, and then more males will come in. And it's to preserve their genetic diversity, actually. Yeah. Well, but the, yeah. the females are choosing their mates. And so they're just kind of, there's that there's that aspect of it. Also, this 100% echoes to me the, the Witches of Dathomir. Yes. Uh, well, like, or the Witches of Dathomir 100% echo this. Yes, is, yes, I mean, yes, yes. at the timeline, but yes. Um, but uh, the Witches of Dathomir. And then also, I was thinking of, uh, oh, I, I lost it, though. It was... Another, it was another Star Wars-y uh, thing, but I've, I've forgotten because the Witches of Dathomir took such focus yeah. uh, in, in terms of that. But uh, very much uh, some of the same powers, uh, some of the same goals. Yeah. Uh, you have a lot of that. And I just, I just find that very, very interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, so Paul, mm-hmm. uh, we find out very early in the book, mm-hmm. Paul was supposed to be a girl. Okay. The sisterhood had told Jessica, "You're gonna have a girl. You're gonna you're gonna bear him bear him only daughters." Mm-hmm. And Jessica fell in love with Leto, and that and gave him a, a son. Well, Aww. no, and 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 she could choose. Oh, here's the other thing I wanted to point out. Yeah, uh, you know the the and and friend of the show Tessa will point this out as yes. well. Uh, you can trace DNA along the mother's line. Yes. Don't think you can trace it along the father's line as well to to get back to your common ancestry. Yeah, there there are traits that show up on the mm-hmm. Y chromosome, right? So, like we know, we for we example, know that, we know we know descent from Genghis Khan being yeah. such a common thing, right? Because of specifically traits on the Y chromosome. So there is right. there is some of that, but yeah, based on based on our of understanding of, of of genetics now, we yeah. know that that the haploid groups that you're going to be looking for, 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 you know, deep ancestry right. are going to be maternal DNA. Other, they're going to be, they're going yeah. to be maternal. And then you have mitochondrial DNA. That's the thing I was thinking, which of. is, yeah. which is a whole separate right. thing, which is, you know, so large, so, so much less changed than everything else. in our mm-hmm. genetic code. Well, and yeah. then, then it also, uh, you know, I, I'd said earlier, this is a Hebrew story. Um, or it has a lot of Hebrew overtones. Again, yeah. uh, you, you trace it back from the mother's line. Mm-hmm. No one else's. And yeah. you're breeding for a male Messiah. Yeah. They weren't breeding. But the, but, the Messiah but that's going to come is going to be a dude. of a Messiah. Yeah. Uh, I, I would also point out that the Celts were matrilineal. That's true. Largely because of their... their outlook on sexual practices right. within their culture. Right. But, like, we have no way... We can't be sure who the father is. Yeah. Like, we can... We can 
assume. Yeah. But we were all we out know, in the fields, but we we, we, yeah. we know we know who you popped out of. So yes. we know you're descended. So so when we go to train you to be right, a right. man in our society, we're gonna send you to your mother's brother because we know you're related to him. Yep. <laughs> like, yeah. You know. Which is also true uh, in the Hopi, actually. Okay, yeah. yeah. Well it doesn't surprise so, me. There's, yeah. yeah. Um so so the the Benedict and and you mentioned I think this is be a good good place to bring it up. You mm-hmm. mentioned the Gom Jabbar. I did last episode. I mentioned Gibbons. the needle. The needle. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh the Bene Gesserit have a test called the Gom Jabbar. Okay. And it's one of the very first things that happens in the book is mm-hmm. Paul, who is fifteen mm-hmm. at the start of the story, uh the Reverend Mother Gaius Helen Mohayim mm-hmm. shows up. Uh, the the whole household is in preparation to make the move from Caladan to Arrakis. So the whole place is a mess and everybody's running around. But in the middle of all that, Gaius Helen Mohayim, who is the emperor's truthsayer. So she's part of the emperor's household and she is Lady Jessica's teacher and superior. Interesting set of names. Gaius is Roman. Mm-hmm. Helen is Helen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Mohayim. I mean, again, Mohayim. again, yeah. Semitic. What we see Very over and over again, yeah. What we see over and over again within the book is a lot of syncretism. Mm. So we hear about the Orange Catholic Bible. Okay. Okay. Uh, the Fremen follow Zen Sunni religion. Okay. Zen Sunni, Sunni syncretism right. again. Yeah. Um. So so again, these are things that are these details that get thrown right, out at us right. that give us a very quick picture of just how far in the future we're looking at Mm -hmm. and and we can see okay we know this is a society descended from our own but it's way different and there's a lot that we know has happened that we don't know how it happened but here you know but here we are again some of this stuff is amazing and some of it is just so fucking heavy-handed and so she shows up Mm -hmm. Gaius Helen Moheim shows Mm -hmm. up and uh, she's there to give Paul a test. Okay. And he says, what is this going to test? She says, we're going to find out whether or not you're a human. And and she says, here's a, blue a box. Book a box. Oh, okay. Here's a, here's a box. And he says, what's in the box? She says, pain. And she tells him, and she uses voice on him. Oh, okay. Which he has been trained by his mother to know when it's being used and to be a little bit resistant, but guys, Helen Mohayim she's so much is yeah, so much older, and more experienced. Yeah. yeah, that he it's can't like counter he, he tries, but, yeah. he, but he winds up shoving his shoving his right hand okay in the box. And step one, he, cut he, a hole in the box. He, yeah, he feels he he feels an itching. Mm-hmm. First, a tingle that turns oh, yeah, into I an itch that turns movie. into yeah. a burn, mm-hmm. and he envisions. It like the flesh boils peeling off, and, and yeah, boiling and, yeah. and just in blackened flesh peeling away and he's and he's certain that he's gonna pull away a stump mm-hmm. but he but he sits there and he takes it and he takes it and he takes it and he takes it and sweat beads up all over his because mm-hmm. after his hand is in the box mm-hmm. she says oh she's got the, the needle, needle the needle i have at your neck is called the gom jabbar if you move mm-hmm. if you try to remove your hand i will prick you with this needle Mm-hmm. And the poison on it will have you dead before your body hits the floor. And he says, you know, my, my mother will, my mother won't let you do that. My mother will call for guards. She says, your mother is the one guarding the door for me to do this. Oh, damn. She underwent this same test. Oh. 
and she passed it. Let's see if you can. Wow. Okay. And by the way, what he's doing is what Gaius Mukius did. <laughs> because my hand, my right hand failed me when I tried to king kill kill King Porsena. Yeah. And instead that I killed his scribe. This is the hand that failed me. This is the hand that goes into the fire. And he sticks it into the fire. And Porsena's like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> really? Yeah. And then okay. they pull him out and, and they're like, who the shit are you? And he and because, you know, they said, oh, we've caught you. You tried to, why'd you kill the king's scribe? He's like, ah, I'm sorry. I was trying to kill your king. My bad. I'm out. Uh, and then they catch him and he's like, ah, this hand failed me. You know, and, and he started hokey pokey. Um, and then uh, they pull him out and Porsena's like, the shit's going on here and he's like you know i'm just an average roman there's a lot of crazier motherfuckers back there <laughs> you might kill me but uh but there's gonna be 10 more of me coming after you tomorrow porcena's like right we're packing up everybody let's go uh these stakes are too high pull them out and let's get and and he goes back and uh he tells everybody what happened because it was this siege that was happening because yeah. goddamn tullus Astilius is picking fights um, and they're like, Gaius, what happened? He's like, well, you know, I did all this and then I burnt my hand off. And they're like, ah, from now on, we'll call you a lefty. <laughs> That's the story. Uh, but it's, they call him Skywola, Mukius, but Gaius oh, wow. Mukius Skywola. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So, but the name Gaius, and then he's got to yeah. stick his hand mm-hmm. in a thing. Yeah. Okay. I don't know how extensive Herbert's classics education was, but. Back then I got a feeling it was. Probably, well, yeah, better than more, ours, probably, yeah. yeah. So, okay. So, so anyway, the, the lesson and the philosophy that comes out of all this is eventually because mm-hmm. she, she could read his reactions. Right. And so just she, through sheer empathy, mm-hmm. she kind of starts sweating too. Cause she realizes uh-huh. how much, how much he's actually going through. Cause right. the, the longer his hand is in the box, the worse it gets and the worse it gets. And eventually she, she pulls the needle away and says, all right, yeah, take your hand out. You pass young human. And it's all totally fine. And it's all, yeah, it's all yeah. totally fine. And it worked through nerve induction. And it was... Sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. And, and she said, the lesson here is an animal would chew off its own hand to escape the trap. Mm-hmm. A human would remain and wait to kill the individual that had set the trap. Okay. So again, cunning. Right thinking you know the ability to think multiple steps ahead right right you know all, all that kind of stuff being stressed and and it's remarked very right at that point early on in the book it gets remarked he he got farther than any man child ever has so they just kill the shit out of all the man children that they do this to we don't know for sure that, or, like, or or they read these kids so bad so well that they're like okay i know when he's gonna quit and then i'll pull it away or right. they they put him through the test, mm-hmm. and the ones that don't do well enough mm-hmm. get the Gom Jabbar. Okay, because we know there's another character. There's another character who shows up who's relatively minor but kind of important. Okay, doesn't have a lot of time in the book, but but plays an important role in the plot. No, no, another man. Oh, they said a relative who's minor. So, oh, nice, nice. Um, but an, another character, uh-huh. uh, Count Fenring, uh, who was a near miss at creating a Kwisatz Haderach. Shows up in the book. He he was the, the okay. Bene Gesserit's failed. Almost almost did it, but couldn't quite. Gotcha. Okay. And so we know, or we can surmise, he's been through it, and he's 
20 years older than sure, Paul sure. is. So, you know, clearly they didn't stick him. Right. So, so they, they probably have to kill a certain amount so that people yeah. know this shit matters. But yeah. again, they could They have discretion. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and you know, nobody said it has to be, you got you yeah. to stand for two minutes with your hand there. It's, yeah. it's whatever they say. And yeah. if they're reading you, then they know what your breaking point is and they could pull it off just at the last second and give you a renewed sense of self. Yeah, whatever. Kind of yeah, cool. Depending, depending right. on what their goals are. I like it. I like it. All right. So so they're they're working to try to breed the Kwisatz Haderach. Uh-huh. And at the very beginning of the book, we find out it's possible Paul might be mm-hmm. the Kwisatz Haderach. But, but Gaius Helen tells Jessica, don't get your hopes up. Okay. Don't because, you know... We can we can find ways to protect you. We can find ways to protect him because mm-hmm. we've spent literally generations trying to preserve these two bloodlines. Right. We had hoped that we could marry your daughter to the Harkonnen heir, unify right, the two bloodlines, right. and preserve them that way. You fucked that up. Uh, there, I mean, there's really heavy-handed with the sure. you dummy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, like yeah. how? Why did you fall in love? Why did you have to yeah. go do this? And um. And and so anyway, but it's like we're gonna do what we can. You know, you're one of us. So we're gonna we're gonna do what we can to protect you. Sure. We we have you know stuff in place on on Arrakis already to to prepare for you. Mm-hmm. We'll do what we can to try to save him because he's important. He just proved he's a human, so he's worth something. Sure. But his father is dead. Like we can't we, we can't do anything him. for him. He's he's going into a trap. Okay. He knows he's going into a trap. He thinks he's gonna be able to find a way out of it. No. And he's not. No, he's fucked. Right. Okay. Okay. And so that's that's our introduction to the Bene Gesserit. That's our introduction to Paul being the Kwisatz Haderach. Okay. Like, all of this happens within a matter of a couple of pages. And so it's really important character details. It's mm-hmm. really important world building details. Mm-hmm. But again, to make the plot something I could summarize in less than five minutes, <laughs> you know, we got yeah, yeah, yeah. to summarize around it. Okay, so now in the setting, mm-hmm. um, we have uh, w- one of the most important advisors within the Atreides house mm-hmm. is the Mentat Thufir Hawat, who is Paul's teacher, uh, Paul's tutor, one of his trainers in, okay. knife in tactics and, and security. Less in the physical art of knife fighting and more in strategy oh, okay, and, okay. and like warfare, studying the history of, of warfare. And right. here's here's a problem, figure out how to solve this problem, you know, logical thinking, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And mentats are humans who have been trained to sift data and analyze it at incredible speeds. Okay. To replace thinking machines, which were outlawed after the Butlerian Jihad in the ancient history of this universe. There are no computers in Dune. There are humans Mm -hmm. who are who who have been trained and or drugged Mm -hmm. or some combination of the two to act as computers. Navigators consume vast quantities of spice and have a certain amount of Mentat-like training in order to look into the future and analyze things in order to navigate it faster than light speed. Sure. Mentats are human computers. They are humans who have been trained over the course of their entire childhood into their early adulthood Uh 
to to take data and make third and fourth and fifth order right calculations and suppositions based on it and the butlerian jihad is an explanation for why we have these things i mean the the the, the function that mentats and sook doctors and i mean the Benny jesuit another example of kind of the same thing it's mm-hmm. it's humans being trained to a level of superhumanness in some category in, right. in some in some ability in some set of abilities being transcending their humanity okay so there's there's a very strong streak of post-humanism mm-hmm. or transhumanism i don't remember which one better applies here in in what herbert was was talking about and so the reason the in-universe explanation for this is that sometime in our future artificial intelligences pulled a, a judgment day right turn turn on humanity and then there's this massive war across a thousand different star systems because right. humanity is spread out vastly during this time and so there's this huge war between humanity and the machines. And at the end of the Butlerian Jihad, the machines, the all, all sentient machinery, all complicated electronic computers get destroyed. And thou shalt not make a machine in the likeness of a human mind. Okay. Is, is a phrase out of the Orange Catholic Bible in setting. It is literally holy writ. Thou shalt not do this. Okay. Okay. And so to replace computers which during herbert's lifetime a computer had gotten small enough right that you could that that it would take up a corner of a large room right you know um and so this is again another example of of kind of the failure of of uh, science fiction writers to have enough imagination uh to look far enough into the future you know, we, we to now, get to miniaturization, to, to, to get yeah. to miniaturization, to get to the level of power involved in modern computers. Sure. Um, and so again, but there's heavy duty posthumanism going on. And uh, the last example I want to get to before we we break mm-hmm. at this point because we we we're getting close to kind of our 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 normal time limit, rhythm, our normal yeah. Kind of rhythm is the Navigators Guild, and I've okay. mentioned them a few times. Sure. The Navigators Guild pilot massive ships called Highliners. And a Highliner is this huge, vast, essentially it's like a huge, vast cargo box. Space dirigible. Space, yeah, essentially yeah. that that other ships, frigates, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which will be, you know, the size of a large building. Think think okay. like, like a, uh, a skyscraper. Is, that's, that's the size of, of a frigate. Okay. In this setting. And there will be dozens or hundreds of frigates in the belly of a highline. Mm-hmm. And the navigator, uh, high, high level navigators are almost never seen by normal humans. Their, okay. their appearance is kept a secret. They swim literally in a tank that's kept if, if they're if they're in a planetary gravity well uh-huh. they have suspensor globes so they don't actually have to fight against gravity because they spend okay 99 of their life outside of a gravity well mm-hmm. and they float in a cloud of spice gas and over time this causes them to lose their humanity okay partly because they spend all of their time in this expanded state of consciousness mm-hmm. looking into the future 
kind of reflexively all the time. And because this immense amount of spice they're imbibing extends their lifespan so they could be hundreds of years old. Sure. And it changes their body. They wind up becoming fish-like with elongated webbed hands and feet and their features get distorted. They don't wind up looking like like the creature in the Lynch movie. Okay. And in the original novel, Mm -hmm. we don't see that level of guild navigator okay we don't see that level of guild navigator until the second book in the series okay and he doesn't look like that okay that's that's all lynch sure. getting freudian sure on us so um and now the navigator's guild has control over the space lanes if i'm a noble and I have a feud with another noble house. Mm-hmm. I want to. I want to. I want to take territory from another noble. I have to get my army aboard mm-hmm. ships, and then make it, and then pay the guild to carry my army from my planet to the other guy's planet, uh-huh. in order to fuck him up. Right. Okay. And the guild essentially acts as the the market term being an honest broker. It's like, well, all right. Here's the fee. You go from here to you here. You go, go from here to here. Yeah. They do differentiate rates for military expeditions versus regular trade. Sure. Uh, there are there are throwaway lines made when Harkonnen, with with the Emperor's support, invades Arrakis. Mm-hmm. The Emperor repeatedly talks about, do you have any idea how much money I had to spend to the guild? <laughs> To transport, I'm going to be, he literally says at one point, I'm going to be paying that debt off for years. (laughs) And he usually says that to a representative of the emperor, like, no, 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 no. I'm keeping the emperor's secret here. Don't try to, don't try to bully me. Right. Do you know, like, no, no. The emperor gave me his Sardaukar, but I'm the one taking all the risks. I'm the one spent all the fucking money. Right. Don't come here trying to push me the fuck around. Like, no, no. I'm the money it, guy. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. wind up working. But anyway, um, and so the, the guild has this monopoly over over interstellar trade. Mm-hmm. And so Dune is incredibly important to them because it's the only place that the spice can be can be procured. Oh, okay. okay. Um, and... I think we're gonna we're gonna stop there before I get to start talking about the houses of the Lanzarote or Choam or the Fremen or any of that stuff. Okay. So what what do you take away from this at this point? Well, okay, so he writes this in the early sixties and it's published in sixty five. Yes. Um so and at that point um we're still about 15 years, I think, from Saeed writing Orientalism, uh, I think. Sounds about right. Um, but uh, at that point, there is a lot of Orientalism. Uh, and it sounds like he's he's going right along with that. Yeah. Um, this is prior to <clears throat> the really huge step up in terrorism. Yeah. Um, so it's not like there weren't conflicts. There's, you know, in 67, there's a war. Yeah, and, and stuff like that, but like you, you still have this fetishization of the East on some levels. Well, it's exoticism. Yeah. Well, it's you know, as Sa- Saeed said, it's yeah. you know, Orientalism. 
uh, and and you have this at the time when Europeans are extricating themselves from these spaces too. Yeah. So I, I just I find that little interplay interesting, um, and uh, yeah, putting women into positions of tremendous power sounds very much like uh, soft sci-fi. We're going to invert this aspect of society. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That so that makes some sense. You know, my own my own critique of it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we're going to get into this in more detail when we get to talking about themes but mm-hmm. um there's a lot of the trope of mighty whitey mm. involved in this yeah um and and a big part of that is a baked in level of sexism mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's going to take a male figure to be the right. one who can see down both lines right you know and and to anybody to a male writer in the 1960s of course it does well of course like yeah. i mean come on that's 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 it's there's just a set of assumptions baked into yeah. the worldview involved in that yep but like you know as a modern critique of it like you know that's kind of sexist also mm-hmm. the female organization is the one obsessed with maintaining bloodlines and nurturing genetic material right but like, they're doing it in a very devious feminine way. Devious feminine yeah. way. They there's there is overt reference to, you know, them regularly using uh, sex and you know marriage mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as their tools. Right. I mean, it's it's way sixties. Like it's it it's, is. It's very much a product of its yeah. time in that in that sense. And if somebody was going to try to explore these ideas today, I'd I'd really like to see somebody take the concepts that are involved in this from a non-european non-male mm-hmm. point of view yeah and 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 fiddle with these tropes from from a different viewpoint and yeah. like i'd love to try to do it but i'm a cishet white guy right right so like i don't have the genuine lived experience to figure to to really to feel like I'm, I would be genuinely doing that. Yeah. So I, I, I wish somebody else would though, because I'd, I'd love to see the other viewpoints. Sure. That could come out of it. Yeah. So that's, uh, you know, the, you know, we focused a lot on the, uh, women who's the group. Benny Jesuit. Benny Jesuit. Uh, we focused a lot on them. Uh, so I think that's, that's most of my takeaway. Okay. Um, got anything for people to read? Uh, not this time. Okay. No, I don't. How about you? I do actually. We talked last time about the fall of a bunch of empires, and I told you about my the soft spot I have for Patrice Lumumba. Yeah. Um, there is a book called The Assassination of Lumumba uh, by Ludo Dewitt. Um, it's awful, uh, and it's it's really well done. Don't get me wrong; it's fantastic. Oh, history. but the story is gut wrenching. Yes. Okay. Uh, it's it's really awful. Like the 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 detail that it goes into is is very hard, but it's it's an important read. Um, okay. I absolutely recommend that. Uh, so where can people find you on the social medias? I can be found on social media at EH Blaylock on the Twitter machine. I can also be found at that same address on Instagram. Uh, and I can be found as Mr. Blaylock. They call me Mr. Blaylock, <laughs> uh, on, uh, TikTok, uh, on which I, I don't do an awful lot, but you know, you can look me up there and where can they find you? Uh, you look for me at Duh Harmony on both Twitter and Insta. You'll find me there. 
Uh, you can also find me every Tuesday night at 8.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on twitch.tv forward slash capital puns. Uh, those are enough. Well, no, uh, there's also my YouTube show that I do with uh, Ian McDonald, uh, and it's on YouTube. You just type in uh, Marvel Strike Force uh, Excelsior Gaming, and you'll find us. And it's, it's a lot of fun. It's just kind of me hosting him uh, and making dumb jokes. So All right. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun, yeah. So... For a geek history of time. Oh wait, oh. we haven't told him where you can find. You can, a geek you can find. You can find both of us collectively yes. at Geek History Time. Yes. Uh, on Twitter, okay. uh, also at our website, mm-hmm. geekhistorytime.com. Also, you found us already. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Uh, and while you're at it, you can tell people to find us on Spotify, Stitcher, and the uh, the Apple Apple podcast. iTunes podcast iTunes. app. So. Find us there, uh, subscribe, rate us, review us, let us know what you think. Uh, throw stuff into the Twitters to let us know what subjects we should cover. Uh, if you just want an episode that's only one episode long and self-contained, for instance. So, yeah, you we know, used to do that. Challenge us. Yeah. So, anyway. So, for A Geek History of Time, I am Damian Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, keep rolling 20s.